Welcome to the Yoga Living Project podcast. My name is Austin, and this week we've got an episode up of the most current satsang, where uh, we kind of uh, group discuss or like use a Socratic seminar style format group discussion talk around um, pertinent yoga topics. I really loved this chat yesterday. Um, We started with focusing in on uh, gratitude. So that's kind of an obvious low-hanging theme and fruit for um, the month of November, being Thanksgiving and all in America. Um, And that just kind of led into some really cool things. And when I started this satsang, uh, my goal was a little bit of a different approach than I normally take, one of uh, a lot of preparation and a lot of big ideas and a lot of themes was uh, one that I wanted to let go of. And I was a little nervous. I didn't know how it was going to turn out if we would just like run out of things to talk about in 10 minutes. Um, But, you know, I mean, these people in this community, when you're, you know, in any community, any yoga community where you're like living the yoga, um, it just, the conversation, it's just there to be had. It's just waiting to be kind of uh, highlighted where everybody's at and what they're going through. So this was a cool one. Uh, it's, we've got about an hour. We're going to talk about gratitude. We're going to talk about uh, balance, talk about focus. We're going to talk about what it means to be centered. We talk about showing up as your best self and how important that is as a yoga teacher, but also as a yoga student, and how when you do that, it creates community, and it creates a heightened sense of community that uh, something special happens within where other people start to be recognized as their best self as well. And I wonder if this isn't uh, kind of what we're getting at when we say namaste. You know, we, we talk about the kind of the conventional definition of delight within me sees, honors, and bows the light within you. And really, the concept of showing up as your best self, seeing the best in others, and honoring that, isn't that dissimilar. So, um, I hope you enjoy the talk. If you're listening to this, this week, the week of the 13th of November, 2017, I want to let you know that we do have a special event coming up with the Indie Give campaign this weekend um, that is uh, 108 sun salutations it's the support homeward pikes peak where you come in and over a three hour period you can pop in at any point and leave at any point and we ask that you donate one dollar per sun salutation that you do and we have uh, four teachers from cambio and then another great local yoga teacher sarah martin who will be um, trading shifts guiding folks through the sun salutation. So that's at the Gill Center, 2.30 to 5.30, Saturday, November 18th. That's 3.15 East Costilla. You can get more info at info at homewardpikespeak.org or 719-473-5557. Aside from that, the... Other things that I would have you think about, um, if you're already here and listening to this podcast and you're interested in these kinds of things, is uh, teacher training. We've got um, intensive teacher training popping up here again in January. It's the last Sunday of January is when the next one starts. We've actually got an information session, which is free to attend to learn all about, um, Wednesday the 15th at uh, six o'clock. No, is it five forty-five or six o'clock? Show show up somewhere in that neighborhood, and you'll be fine. Um, if you can't make this Wednesday, uh, the next one we've got for the intensive two hundred is on November thirtieth. That one is at seven fifteen. I'm sure of the time. If you know that you're interested in teacher training, neither of those work for you. Continue to check back at the website under the two hundred hour intensive teacher training tab, and I will keep that updated for you. Um, if you've already done a 200-hour 
and you're interested in taking things to the next step, we are gearing up for our 300-hour teacher training intensive, which I'm super excited about. And uh, I do want to clarify because it can be a little confusing. The 300-hour is like the more that's what makes people a 500-hour yoga teacher. That combined with the 200-hour. And I know a lot of you listening to this already know that, but some of you don't, and it can be confusing because you're like, "Well, I want to be a 500-hour teacher. Can I take the 500-hour?" But it's actually the combination of the 200-hour plus the 300-hour. You have to do the 200-hour first. Um, Yoga Alliance does allow you to start a 300-hour while you're still in a 200-hour, FYI. Um, That starts uh, the third weekend of January. And if you're interested in more info about that, we have an information session at the studio December 5th at 6 p.m. I'm sure of the time, sure of the date on that one. And it's, of course, free to attend. Ask all the questions you want. And at either of the info sessions, if you end up do signing up, you save some money just by putting your deposit down. If you want to know more about any of this stuff, you can always email me directly or anything else. You have questions, comments, or want to hear on the podcast, feel free to email me directly, austin at cambioyoga.com. Please take time, if you enjoy this, to go to iTunes and give us a rating we would love that and and even a review it's really simple and easy to do it takes literally like 10 seconds you can do it right from your phone um, but again only do that if you like the podcast <laughs> i'm funny anyway without further ado thanks for hanging in there and i hope you enjoy the chat get something out of it and let us know okay yoga living Project Podcast Satsang from November 12th, 2018 at Cambio Yoga. say one thing that you're grateful about that your practice has been giving you lately. Does that make sense? So like so like your yoga practice or whatever kind of practice you're working on in life. Something that um, whether it's like, you know, some of you I know were in teacher training this weekend. So it can be like what you're learning on educational or what you're excited about. Some of you are embarking on new journeys right now in your yoga. Um, For me, um, I'm really excited right now actually about uh, writing. I've gotten back into the practice of writing a lot and I'm really like at heart, writing is really important to me and that is a big part of my yoga practice and I haven't been doing it for a long time. Um, And I literally recently just uh, went through this thing called Thumbtack to find a therapist. So I was like, oh, I, could, I could go back for therapy for a while. Because, you know, I, I've been intermittent with therapy most of my life. So I found a, like a good sliding scale pay therapist. And we've had three or four sessions scheduled. And every time some schedule snafu has been going on. So I've just been like self-therapizing. Is that a word? <laughs> Therapizing? Sure. With journaling? And I'm like, now I have, I have it finally. I know I'm going to actually get to have an appointment with him this week. And I'm like, do I even need it? doing so good with the journaling, but I, I think it'll be good because it's, you know, I feel like a, being a human is like being a, it's like a forest, you know, for a while you like tend to this side of the forest with the journaling, 
the therapy or whatever it might be. And then you forget about this side of the forest that you need to like hack back with your asana machete or your meditation machete or your pranayama machete. So currently right now though, I'm working on the overgrown forest that um, happens to be all the things in my head that need to be expressed. So that's what I'm grateful for. So which way, who would like to start? Start. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, my name's Rich, and um, one of the things that uh, I guess my practice, yoga practice, is uh, doing for me is it's um, providing me the tools, the vocabulary to express what's going on within myself, and I guess without myself, so inside and outside, and. Grab my pick up a journal. I said, I don't, I don't have time to meditate. I just got to write this stuff down that's just going in my head, right? And so what it finally funneled down to was um, coming up or figuring out a way to to manage my my physical responsibilities, my responsibilities that I've created for myself outside of my body, and uh, figure out a way to tend to my mental responsibilities. <laughs> So, um, I realized step one, don't go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, just, uh, trying to manage these things that I've put in my life, created in my life, outside of my body, whatever that might be, um, you know, job or hobbies and what have you that don't actually support the internal growth, the mental growth, emotional growth that I, that I feel like I uh, need to work on. So just realizing and recognizing just that simple thing where I need less of this stuff in my life so I can work on more of this stuff inside me is what my yoga practice has kind of led me to at this point. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And you can, by the way, I didn't say this, you can totally pass. If you're like, ah, I don't have the energy or I don't have anything in mind, just pass. No judgment. <laughs> He has, a, he has a tendency to take his shirt off sometimes for no apparent reason, so one of them stayed on. Oh, there go the pants. I don't know, who turned up the heat? I know, it is hot in here. Oh my god. I'm sweating. I like your You're on 9 o'clock Friday morning, October 12th. <laughs> so we just finished a three-day module, and I feel both simultaneously drained and overflowing all, all in sort of the same time. And I think when, where I'm at in my yoga journey, which has just been absolutely amazing recently, is I feel like a veil has I feel this sense of clarity. It's just like, wow. And we really didn't smoke or drink. You know, it's just. Um, but yeah, it was the massage. Yeah, it was the massage. Yeah, but I just feel this sense of uh, clarity when I look at this that is just. Wow. Just wow. Nice. CC, you want to say anything? Are you sure? I'm Bonnie. 
And uh, yeah, I, I started my yoga journey as a, an effort to gain a little balance in my life. Yeah, I felt I was a little bit out of balance. And, and uh, I figured that the asanas would, would get me there. And the asanas started me there. Um, now I'm with Cheryl, we're in a teacher training. We're both quite a long way. And we just finished a, a, a long weekend of, of, uh, of chocolates, learning about chocolates and a lot of meditation. Which brings me to really what I wanted to talk about. Because all my life, since I was probably 15, you know, I've heard about different sorts of meditations. Um, and I was like, that's a great idea. How do you do it? Uh, you know, you sit and you stand or suddenly kind of stare at the candle flame or how you empty your mind. And, 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 and what I'm learning, uh, because my, med my, my daily meditation practice is really only about two weeks old. Um, but what I'm learning is you don't really have to empty your mind. You just need to, to guide it to where you want to be. We had a lot of chances to do that over the weekend. Uh, I was counting up the meditations. I think there was eight or so meditations. Um, and uh, like Cheryl talked about, I mean, I, I'm, I'm tired because of the, the long weekend of practice. But uh, I'm also energized. There's a lot, a lot to still process. Mm -hmm. And that's why it gets such a bad rep. Because people are like, well, that's, you know, I, I hate sitting there and sitting down and trying to shut my mind up, and I can't ever shut my mind up. And it's like, that that's so, it is so sad because to get that idea in your head is so self defeating. So, yeah, that's, I'm so happy to hear that you have gone past that experience into, in, to put it in my words, because I can't remember exactly what to, but like basically to work with the thoughts. Yes. To not eradicate them, but to like, become friends with them and start to train them in a way, like condition them. You recognize that they're there, you acknowledge them, right. maybe get back to what you need to do. Thanks, Monty. Thank I'm Steve, and uh, well, I, I'm on the uh, couple years away from retirement, so I think that yoga is really helping me get some clarity about what happens next, even though that's not really very clear right now, but got a couple years of time to sort that out, but I think it's helping to ground me and give me a base to, uh, to move on with a, with a big life change. So. In what way specifically? I'm not sure. Uh, well, it's what I, what I definitely see that if I have a See, I, I teach at UCCS, so I have a regular schedule. So semester's over, and then things fall away, and I don't have the structure. And it seems to be hard for me to continue, and I have to regroup. And I'm thinking uh, that yoga is helpful in adding structure, even though stuff around me changes. But it, it is sort of scary to think that my whole life is going to change in a couple of years. And I certainly, I could just work until I die. That might be one option. But I'd rather, you know, do other stuff. After going to a retirement uh, workshop, I almost think it would be easier just to work until I die. But anyway, that's sort of thing. But I think uh, the yoga gives me some structure that I can can work in that is going to, in some ways, replace my work life. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that structure is, it's interesting, isn't it? That whole, I mean, in a way, it kind of goes back to the other side of what you're saying, which is, on one hand, it's starting the meditation practice with, okay, what's here? And then, really, the next step is starting to develop some self-control and self-discipline with those inherent kind of native ingredients within. Yeah, that is, like if you figure that out, 
That's the golden ticket. Yeah. Charlie. And I've only, I've only been practicing Steve. a little under three years, so I feel like compared to some other folks who have a lot longer, it's uh, I've got a long ways to go. And I'm sure that somebody who's been practicing for a long time also has a long ways to go, but, you know. Yeah, isn't that funny how we kind of, like, qualify? Right. Like, I, I saw there's this teacher in San Francisco that is anatomy-based that is, like, really getting big, and he posted something recently about his one of his teachers, and she was a very different type of teacher. She taught about the goddesses a lot, and he said, you know, when you were next to her, you could feel the Shakti, and, and recently she had made a vow to go live in the woods and, like, leave the world alone for a while, and he's like, you know, I'll never be that kind of teacher. I realize that, like, my yoga is being, like, an anatomy dork, and that's where I need to be is, like, I, I'll never get bored of, like, learning the rotation of a femur bone against, you know, a hip socket or whatever, and so to like qualify and say like, well, you know, because I can tell you being a student of mine in three years, you have come very far because you have been very dedicated. And I think that's a big piece to this two-step dance of accepting where one is and what one has to work with and the self-control and self-discipline that yoga requires of us. So, thank you, sir. I would jump in and tell you that retirement is a lot like the meditation and the accepting what is. <laughs> it's a lot like sh shavasana and letting go of expectation. Right. And, and that it rocks. So don't be too afraid of it. I give classes. It's pretty cool. So hopefully I'm answering the right question. So loop back around. It's what in our practice are we grateful for? Yes. Okay. Currently. Right. What are you most grateful for in your practice right now? So I've been gone for almost a year uh, between work and travel and everything. And the, I came back for teacher training today. Nice. And it felt like coming home. Like oh. I was so grateful for as a, just the, the warm welcome, the hugs, the high fives, the <laughs> how you've been. Like it, it, was like I had, it was like I hadn't been gone a month, let alone a year. Uh, so definitely grateful for the community. Yeah. sensation of my awesome practice and how that brings about the tool of patience for me, especially in our study where we'll go, 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 and we tend to want things immediately, instant gratification, and learning that patient patience is very much a virtue, a very, a very useful tool that we can use in being patient with myself in awesome practice and using that grounding to build upon that. And I could probably talk about that for now, but yeah, yeah, no, that's that definitely is a tipping point statement for sure. That can go into the deep end quickly. But I, I think we'll recover some of that ground because I have some other things lined up for us, questions, stuff that I think we'll get right to the heart of that. Same with what you said, actually. Too. Similar in that way of, you know, I've 
been off and on with yoga for a long time, but mostly off, it seems like. And um, I find every time I come back to it, that's when my life seems to be balanced and the patience is there and, you know, just the letting go of fear and, you know, all these things. And um, so coming back around to that, I, that's what I'm feeling now and getting back actually into writing myself lately and just all those things of, of the community and um, just great and just the sense of balance and peace and it's a good feeling. That's funny. You both said, so you said that grounding and you said balance and these are words that have literally been coming up a lot in a lot of discussions peripherally around yoga, the yoga world and um, because people have been asking, like, what's the, the question? Like, well, what is balance? Because if you just walk the middle path your whole life, then you miss out on the riches of life. So that can't be balance, right? But is balance something counter to what you were doing wrong? You know, so balance is this, like, kind of fix-all statement of, like, well, that's what we're kind of going for with Ayurveda and yoga and, and finding grounding, too, this whole but there can be a negative connotation to being grounded, right, too, because we also as yogis need to be able to fly. So I, I've been thinking about a lot lately in terms of being centered, and when you miss out on your practice, you can still come back to center. It's just not as focused as it once was, and the more we practice, the more focused it gets. Um, but I just, I just, I don't know, I think the terms that we use are really interesting. Because one time I was actually teaching in class and I go, <laughs> I was getting everybody at home, and I go, bring your hands into Anjali Mudra and find your center. And, I, and this woman who'd never done yoga before, literally, everybody's got their eyes closed, it's a quiet moment class, she goes, what do you mean? <laughs> and I go, I go, what do you mean, what do I mean? And she goes, what's your center? And like, I literally thought she was like heckling me, but like I was like, just forget about it then, you know? Like I, I didn't know how to answer. I was like, we're just gonna ohm now. I, I'm gonna pretend like I didn't hear you ask that question. We're gonna ohm. But after class, she was like, I didn't mean to patronize you. I literally don't know what you mean by find your center. So sometimes people find you. Yeah. So anyway, I just felt like that that was worth sharing. It's your center of gravity. Yeah. I think that that can be part of it for sure. So said cadaver lab today. <laughs> so it is a lot of question. Maybe we'll go around and say, "What's your center?" But please, sorry, still a floor for me. Go ahead. Oh, so what's your question? What are you grateful? So what? What about your practice or things you're practicing in your life? Are you most grateful for? Okay. I thought this was a couples massage workshop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, it is. Okay. Um. What am I most grateful for? Rich is my <laughs> I guess lately slowing down a little bit. Um, so I ran a lot through the summer, and I mean, maybe I could say that running is a moving meditation of sorts, but it's not yoga traditionally defined. And as I came to kind of the end of my running season, I slowed down. Actually, I stopped with that, and that gave me a lot of space for some other things to grow. And with that space, I haven't exactly been in a hurry, which is nice. I don't, I don't feel like I have anywhere to go or get to, and that's a really good feeling. So you're no longer running. Where's that? <laughs> you're no longer running through things. Yeah, or away or towards things. Or, right. Right. Because it does. It puts that running, you know, puts you in that mode of like ambition, and it can get the mind very like forward. Progressive, right? Well, for running anyway, yeah. Yeah, well, but I mean, I think about like if you do like when I've done uh, sit for five days in Cortez, you know, like I come back and like that has an effect on everything else. Mm. Versus when I was training for Amagina Pass last year and running all the time, that had an effect on the way I was like making breakfast in the morning. It was like I was very like I was training throughout everything. You know, everything was very structured and scheduled in a like there was time involved there was you know what are the results of this involved it was very quantified when I was training versus when I was meditating a lot then I opened up into a whole different relationship with the rest of things right it's funny you say that because when when I run I write down what I do and when I stopped running I of course stopped writing down what I was doing and then when I let some other things kind of 
you know, some breath work and yoga and things start to fill the gap, my instinct was to write them down. <laughs> and then I realized I don't need to write them down. <laughs> How about I just not write them down right. and just do them? <laughs> Which is nice. I mean, that's yeah. a letdown. So. Yeah, that's cool. You like, you have like training logs and stuff like that, like journals full of like. Yeah. Yeah. I know people like that who've literally like logged every workout they've done since they were 16. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> it's but actually nice to let go of though. Like, I want to I want to have it both ways. Like, yeah. I want to be able to do that. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. But then also when I'm not doing it, to let it go. Oh yeah. I think you totally can. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. tells the story their body and he can read that story and he can read the story in that's ways that amazing. they never would have the person didn't know that that's what was happening yeah they had no idea well one simple example i won't get into the like hardcore example but one simple example was this woman had arthritis in her knee and so because of the pain of the friction of the bone she would favor her knee in a very specific way where that stress was causing osteopaths and osteoclasts i, I mean probably not saying the word right, but it's the, the chemical that's released that some, one breaks bone down and one builds bone up. Thank you. So, so calcified or ACL because the, the movement, because of the pain, was inhibited. So what was happening, it was breaking the bone down in the healthy way and building it back up to facilitate the unhealthy movement. So then the arthritis was creating a worse range of motion and a more painful range of motion. So that's like a, a negative result of the body's story unfolding based on it trying to adapt to things and not knowing in a conscious way what to do. Because he, he also talked a lot about the brain being like a, a CEO and the body's mechanisms work like middle management. So you've got like, for instance, he talked about the flight or fight response, which is very appropriate to you guys who did the chakras this um, weekend. And he was talking about, and correct me if there's anything you want to add to this or you guys know anything differently, but um, we tend to think something triggers the flight or fight response here in the brain, and then it gets sent into the body, and then we go through the cortisol and the adrenal flare up, right? And we get into like ready to rumble kind of mode. And he was like, no, that's actually, it goes through the body the other way. It like actually impacts through the adrenal glands first, and our brain is the last thing to know. So our brain is the last thing to know that we've been triggered into a flight or fight response. And I just, that was really profound to me. I was like, oh my God, no wonder I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> you know, like those internet videos where like, you're doing it wrong. It's like, that's, that's me with my flight or fight response my whole life. Because I've been always trying to control what my brain 
But that, but it's that a makes a lot of sense because you don't think body. about it. You react to it. Exactly. And it is, you're, the first time you think about it is when you say, the, what did I just do? Kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that makes mm-hmm. sense that your brain is not really involved. Was well, it almost like if you touched a hot pan, you can't wait for the sensation to travel to your brain and then back to your hand and to remove your hand? Like your hand needs to be off of there faster than that. Like yes. is that? Yeah, so your, your hand has intelligence in it. The body has its sensory um, triggers in it. So it, it just does the thing that it needs to do before yeah. it waits for the CEO to put its, you know, cognac and its cigar down to say, <laughs> go ahead and I approve, you know? And that's kind of what he was saying was like, it's like for so long, so many approaches to the body have thought of a top down kind of system. And he's like, you know, he's like, it just isn't that way. He's like the whole, there's intelligence through the whole body. It's not cognitive intelligence, the way we think of intelligence. The body functions in its own way. And he even went on to describe how where there's chakras in the body, there are nerve plexuses, basically bundles, large gatherings of nerves that also happen to be coupled with glands from the endocrine system at every major location where there's chakras, except for, we were just talking about this, with Erica. Um, at least as far as I'm aware, there's not one at the root chakra. And my understanding is the reason that there's just so much nerve down there. You've got the collection of everything from the lower body and things going on like that but that was a really um, this guy who's like spent years and years and years cutting bodies up studying the body studying as Suzanne said the information that the body's telling him about the choices these people have made in their life and and then yet he's the we didn't bring it up he was the one who brought up TCM the meridians chakras anatomy trains I mean all these things that science is just trying to catch up with these ideas that people have intuited over periods of time that they're like, well, I feel something here, and this relates to, you know, when I'm in my stomach, this relates to action for me, and this relates to like power, personal power, and the ability to manifest things, and and we can be woo woo about it, but then we can start to find out that like actually, when a person feels disempowered, they start to cover that part of their body, their actual posturing and their body language starts to slump over and hold themselves in a very small, disempowered way. So, I don't know. I mean, it was very interesting. Most so, it's, I mean, what I'm taking from it is like sensory input before knowledge and recognition. I mean, it's like you're, we just, we know there's like this greater all that in our body tells us before we actually become aware of it. That's pretty powerful. It is. I mean, we see all these traditional medicines that have lasted through thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. It's all circling back, you know. We yeah. think we advance, but are we? Are we really advancing? We circle around to actually understanding the mind-body awareness, and that brings us back to yoga and being grateful for that. Well, I think a bit of the current state of affairs with it is rooted in fear of the unknown. So when we don't understand things in a way where we can explain them in a qualitative and quantitative manner. We tend to say, I'm not going to engage with that because science doesn't have any way of locking in with that in an explanatory, rationalizing way. Um, but, you know, I have a good example of, uh, of you know, I, I'm sure you all probably have experienced things in your life that science could never explain. Um, you know, we just got back from a retreat down in Tulum, and this past year, one of the Mayan healers that worked at the retreat center that um, we always go to passed away. He passed away very quickly. But one of the things he used to do that was really cool is he would assess your body without words, because he spoke very little English. He would just feel around, note things, and oftentimes if he found something that appropriated it, he would go into the jungle, gather some Mayan herbs and give you them at the end of the massage and be like, you know, you got to like burn this on the next full moon and inhale the smoke or make this into a tea or, um, you know, put this leaf under your pillow. Like, I don't know what it was. He never did that for me. He did, did for my treatment with, didn't require any of that apparently, but, um, but there were other people on our retreat in years past that they did that for. And I mean, it was profound how transforming that was. And, you know, you can argue placebo you can argue, well, people want to believe this kind of thing. 
Um, but then it gets it gets slippery because you start to ask yourself, well, then what's real? And, you know, we just don't know. We can't know. Uh, we tend, I think, in the Western world to come to yoga because of the asana. But I think after you practice and begin to understand why you're practicing, that you carry that out. So all that, the asana practice, then informs what you do out in the, in the world outside. So when you talk about, like, when I come back, I feel grounded. And I, I feel like my interaction with people has changed as a result of the, what happens in the, in the yoga room. So, you know, if I were going to exercise, I would do something else. But yoga is exercise and something else. So it's a little bit like you're the Mayan shaman who does something. You're not quite sure, but when you leave, it's different than when you came in. I remember this yoga student I had years ago who was one of these yoga students who could do everything. She was a gymnast growing up, so she could do all the hands. She had the strength to do all the handstands, all the things you would, you know, wish to do with strength. And she was also super open. She could literally just, like, flop, you know, her leg behind her head or whatever it was. And I remember one time we went into a pose, and uh, it was kind of a variation of half pigeon. And she was like, I don't feel anything. And she was like saying it to me like she was mad at me about it. You know what I mean? Like, teacher, I don't feel anything. Like, this is your problem. I don't feel anything. And I'm like, it's funny because, you know, she's engaged in the practice in a way where she's anticipating an expectation. She's expecting to feel a stretch from the pose. And then because she doesn't feel the appropriate response in her body, because the tension's already been released in that particular part of her body, then she has completely shut herself off from feeling anything else. So because she's so far open, she has no appreciation for any other sensation going on. And that's a, that's a big part of asana is that it's not about just relieving the tension and creating a balanced tension somewhere else in the body. But it does specifically, it's intended to work with the subtle body. And that's one of the things this guy was talking about a lot was the way in which there's um, there's this book called Anatomy Trains. Has anybody heard of Anatomy Trains? I can't remember the author, but it's a guy who's basically Western science. <laughs> he's, he's closely appropriated the meridians from TCM in a very scientific way. So the ways in which certain muscles connect throughout the posterior chain or the extensor chain or even you know the crossover lateral chains and flexion chains. Um, but he was talking about how like there is no end to the muscle. He says, you've got this, this strand of muscle, and I don't know the scientific word, but then you've got you know, casing around it. And then you've got 10 of those cased around each other. And then 10 of those cased around each other. And this constitutes the muscle. Well, the same fibrous material that's encasing the blood flow, the circulatory system of those muscles, turns into tendon. And we just happen to say, well, now that's tendon because there's no longer blood flow. But it's the same collagen material. Then that tendon turns into the bone, the only difference between the bone and the tendon now is that the same material has now become ossified to an extent. So he was kind of making this case that all throughout the body, we've got all these connections that are both dynamic and functional, that oftentimes other types of workouts, like going to the gym, when we try to isolate like a deltoid and we lift the arm out to our side laterally, but once it comes above the shoulder plane, then all of a sudden we're turning the trap on and and it was just it was very interesting for him just from an anatomical standpoint to kind of point out how silly it is for us to try to quantify and qualify the benefit result and effect of movement when there is this whole other world to it too that connects with the fact that we have energy in us besides just the animate part besides just the part that's physical there's a there's a liquid spirit in us that when we do the asana, when we do the breath, we move. Yeah, I'm about the opposite of your gymnast yogi. <laughs> and if I would have tried to achieve the perfect asana, I wouldn't be here. Because I would have gotten frustrated very quickly. Because I look at myself in the mirror and I look nothing like anybody else. And I learned 
to just observe. That was one of the things I learned is that, oh, my posture looks different than someone else's, but it, you know, you, you've got to make no judgments. You've got to say, well, I'm a tall guy who's old and I'm not as flexible as someone who's 15 or 20 or, you know, whatever. So that's one of those things that I learned from, from the practice. I was really concerned, am I doing this right when I first started? And then I just you know, sort of given up on, on that. Tried to do the posture as best I can. But, uh, what, and that's a perfect counterpoint to to this woman's experience of her frustration with me was teacher I don't feel anything therefore I don't know how to perfect the pose I don't know if it's perfect I don't know where to go to perfect it from here and and yet it's like such a funny thing because in yoga one of the big things when you're truly teaching yoga rather than just instructing poses one of the big jobs is holding space and role modeling empowerment for your student. So to just step in and like, you know, being a young teacher at the time, I was super eager to want to like fix that for her and be like, oh, okay, this is what we need to do anatomically and maybe engage this and maybe I'll just slap you in the face and no, <laughs> you know, it's like poke you with a needle, like, do you feel this? Um, but really like the thing that's disempowering is that like, you know, at a certain point, you had to you had to make a choice to rely on your own inner authority with things, mm -hmm. and yet at the same time, between what your teacher's offering and what you're intuiting and discovering and exploring within, you know you still don't have the whole picture, and there's kind of a beauty to that mm -hmm. because it's inculcating this curiosity that is the very thing that brought you here tonight. Right. Yeah, I mean, going to the mat is always different. There's always something different, even though you may be doing the same thing. Take the Ashtanga class here, you do exactly the same thing every time. And if you do the hot yoga, you do exactly the same thing. But I would argue that each time you do it, you learn something about yourself that's different. And you know, it's not the it's not the posture; it's what's happening as well, you do the posture. And there's the irony of the current state of yoga is that we have all these social cues that this this dictates a or this exemplifies a mature and developed and experienced yoga practice it's somebody who can put their leg behind their head and do a handstand on one hand or whatever it is when the reason we're all here is because we're getting closer to the real truth of it which is this is what an experienced mature and developed yoga practice actually looks and sounds like is somebody who lets go of the end result lets themselves move into the unknown of well what what does happen beyond sensation of the tension or the pain or the release yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking about what's the intention when you come to do your yoga practice is the intention to get into every pose to its fullest extent for a lot of people it is maybe it is yeah maybe it is but then what but because she could and right. then it was like so then there. she was like well what the hell now and I'm like right. exactly so what's next after that I mean do you have the same intention every time you practice I don't right sometimes it's just to get there right yeah, you know? yeah. that's a big one to show up with what is and, yeah. and be present um, and maybe that comes more with maturity uh, yeah well you, you know Richard Freeman in the mirror of yoga uses this analogy that um, Krishna brings you a, a cup of tea. It's not the cup that's important, it's the tea that's inside. So any form of yoga is holding the same tea. So it could be a paper cup, it could be china, it could be anything, but it, the cup is not important. It's what's in, inside the cup. And so yoga practice, whether you, you do yin or vinyasa or anything else, it's just the cup, and you're really working on what the tea is like inside. Well, and that's a perfect segue into um, my, my big question of the night for you all to suss out and have at, kick. Come up with a perfect answer. Is, uh, yeah, is what is the value of yoga 
So this is an interesting question to me, specifically running a donation-based yoga studio with my sister. You know, our mission being accessibility. Um, it's interesting because we see people who are like, you know, they have to decide on their own. And a lot of people struggle with that, of being like, well, what is it worth to me? What is it worth to me when it's unquantifiable, it's unqualifiable in terms of the benefit and the result? And, by the way, that's also dictated by intention. So if you're coming to the mat in a, you know, you get what you put into it. You get out of it what you put into it is what I'm trying to say. So when somebody comes in and they're like, well, tell me what it's worth, you know. And there is that, there is that sense of um, uh, that buyer's, the buyer's illusion, whatever it is, the sociological actual mechanism where, like, if you pay too much for a car, you will literally drive around in that car justifying why your car mm -hmm. is worth that extra couple thousand you spent on it based on the other cars around that you see that are like, and you're like, oh, well, that one's got a ding on it, or mine does look a little shinier, or I'm going to take my better care of mine. You start to justify getting ripped off in your mind. Like, they've done sociological studies with this. So there's an inverse reaction to that. When you say to somebody, no, pay what you want, you can pay five bucks. Well, you could have a Richard Freeman teaching that class, but for some people, it's not going to hold the same value to them because of the exchange. Is one of the, I'm going to say it's L'Oreal, you're worth it. <laughs> Do you remember the, there's a, there's a woman's hair product Yeah. that came on the market and was not selling well years ago. And the ad agency that got consulted did nothing but raise the price. They did not change the chemical formula. They did not change the packaging. They tripled the price. And the stuff started selling because there was a perceived value. If it is cost me more, it must be perceived worth value. more. Perceived value. That's what I was looking yeah, for, the word. That perceived yeah. value. Yeah. So if something is free to me or low cost, does it actually have value? It must not be meaningful or valuable. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting... Now, I find myself, because I'm spoiled to Cambio and the, and the donation-based, and when I travel and I go someplace and I look at a class that's like $20, I'm like, I know all kinds of asana. I don't, I don't, I don't need $20 worth of yoga. Kind of. So, you know, that's, that's a whole lot of yoga right there. So, yeah, so there's that received value. Which is funny that you use $20 as the benchmark because I have no idea how much a class should be worth. So I took how much does I would I pay if I went to a rock climbing gym, or if I paid for a one time like drop off at a gym, and I so I'm like that. So I always I'm like that's that's my number because that's the same as I would pay somewhere else. And so it's funny because I, I have no idea. Like, and I always look at the person like what what's normal, and they go to you, and I'm like wait okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, it's like how much you pay to enter a race, which is sort of a a really odd concept that you're paying 30, 40, 50 bucks and a lot of it goes to charity but you can go out there and run without paying anything but people <laughs> sign up for you, know, you, you paid a lot to do the Imogene yeah, yeah, I did. So, yeah, yeah, so you know, why didn't you just yeah, do it ways, for the weekend the and, and run that on your own what's, <laughs> what's you know what, other than a t-shirt I mean, what's the, what's the thing that you get from doing that as opposed to just doing it on your own well, and then what's the thing about doing it here at a studio versus doing it on your own? Just putting a YouTube, a free YouTube video on. Totally different experience. Yeah. For me, I don't have a home practice at all. I only practice in the studio. But there's, there's a lot of differences. A big difference for me from going to the gym uh, was the social aspect of, of, of the group here. The uh, I go to a gym, and I'm as guilty of it as everybody else, but plug in your headphones and you go work out and you get a good stuff going on. And you get all the benefits of it except for the interaction. And, and, and it seems to me, I mean, this is a good example. There's uh, uh, the, the yoga culture, I think, brings people together. Let's talk about it. I think maybe because of the nature of, of yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it encourages you to explore. Part of that exploration is, is, is discussing and, and, and talking with people and sharing your experiences. Well, and I think that 
oftentimes it, it can be convoluted when we go back to, well, what, what is my goal here? Am I perfecting the pose? But if you start to really kind of get into some of the traditional intentions and purposes of the relationship between a teacher and a student, it's a two-step dance. Much like what we were talking about earlier in meditation, it's a two-step dance of accepting thyself and then working with that matter through self-control and self-discipline to elevate it. And that's the same thing. The first step of yoga is to make yourself well, to use asana, pranayama, meditation, and deep relaxation, those four you know, legs of the table to set the practice up to be therapeutic, to bring a student to a state of wellness. But a lot of times, and you'll see this as a teacher, a lot of times people will come to practice, they're like, oh, I'm back in here, you know, I was rock climbing or whatever, but I'm back in here because, you know, I hurt my knee. So I'm really trying to get stressed out again so I can get back out to rock climbing. And, and they come for the therapeutic purpose only. And it's a shame because they miss out on yoga's actual purpose. Back in the day, most teachers weren't concerned with raising the level of people's health. In fact, the student had to... The only way they would be initiated is if they proved in earnest how healthy they were to be able to undertake the tutelage of the teacher. At which point, the purpose of that um, relationship was about elevating the student to a state of excellence. And so I think that's a really interesting thing. We That was like one of our first sat song topics was the difference between perfectionism and excellence and how yoga is, is very um, definite in being sure that if we're striving towards perfection, we're kind of losing the plot. But yet, we also need to really consider what excellence means for us. And so I think that that's an interesting thing is that as you get, you know, you do, you start, like if you're practicing with enough of a uh, proper teacher, enough of a good sangha community, and enough of an open heart, it does start to shift from, you know, I came here to get sexy to, you know, or whatever. Like, I, I had a student one time who wrote that. They're like, I'm here to be sexy. You know, I'm here to get sexified. Um, but, or whatever it is, to rehab the knee or to get the lower back pain out of things or to de-stress or whatever. You start to, the mindfulness of it, the thoughtfulness of it, the slower pace, this expansion of space that it creates the uh, response versus reaction that it creates, the relationship to the intelligent mechanism of the body that it creates, all these things start to shift our awareness, our perspective, and our ultimately our relationship to things. Like when you said, to bring it back now, to coming home here, you know, if there's anything that we can define yoga as, it is a relationship. Like when we look at it from a perspective of a state or that quantified union well, what is it a union of and it's literally it's talking about relationship and you know what kind of relationship do you want to have do you want to have one that's paltry and ill maintained and neglected and avoided and ignored or do you want to have one that's thriving in a state of excellence and so the cool thing is you get to decide what that means for yourself there's nothing in yoga that it, it stops there it literally that's what's so slippery about it that's what's so like beautifully mystical about it is that it says yeah we're going to develop you to a state of excellence but it's between you and the teacher to figure out what that means so what does that mean to you what is what is the difference between thriving and just doing the bare minimum what is the difference between perfectionism, the trap of that, versus excellence? Well, this may be a little bit off topic, but like we, you're, you were saying, like, you go to another studio if you are traveling, and I always feel like I'm coming home if I go to a good studio no matter where I am. So it, it's that's a, sort of that grounding thing. It's a different kind of environment, and you're, you're moving into an environment that's like this one, but it's in Washington, D.C., or it's in Pullman, Washington. And so a lot of times, before I practice, I go in and talk to the people, and I just would instantly feel at home, and then I come back and practice. So I think that's one of those examples of, of that grounding where you have this practice that works in lots of different places, and you share that community with people. 
Yeah, and again, I think that the grounding is like, I think that there can be a negative connotation because it can you can become codependent with it. So I like to think of it better as a centering, or even the word um, like retreat or resort. And those words have been on my mind because, like I said, we went on retreat to a resort in Tulum, and I didn't even come back to Cambio for four days after we got back. And it was the first time, remember, I walked upstairs and I saw you guys working, the extended mm-hmm. format group working in that small room. And that was my first like moment back to Cambio in like a week and a half. And for all the years I've gone to other places, like this has never happened. I've never been able to objectively like reintegrate to Cambio in a completely like, I don't know what happened in Mexico this time, but I was like really focused on the concept of retreat and resort in, in like more of a poetic definition. Like, you know, resort, not as in, like, just a place you go and get pampered at, but something you actually um, establish a neural memory that you can resort to when shit gets tough again. Like, almost like a happy place in your head. Mm-hmm. And when I realized, like, I came back, I'm like, whoa. Like, I'm thousands of miles away from paradise, Tulum, Mexico, the Mayan Riviera, the Caribbean, all these things, and yet there's a little slice of it right here in this place. And I'm like, and that's what's, like, when people talk about like you know, the community being special here, or people moving, wishing there was a wishing there was a Cambio in, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, or wherever they moved to, you know. And so, like when you say coming home, it's interesting because like, I feel that way when I go to Tulum, and I feel that way when I come here too. <laughs> so it's weird. But, um, let's. What did you say? Um, what there was one point when you were talking on your check-in gratitude thing gratitude for my asana practice bringing helping me feel grounded and basically slowing me down Mm -hmm. because I'm always go go achieve this do this make decisions here do that so and that tends to come with an aura of impatience Mm. so Mm -hmm. when I'm able to come and find myself and be grounded for an hour whether it's one time a week or five times a week that automatically for me brings, and learning to accept myself, like you said, Samantha, just accept wherever I'm at that day, because each day is different. And then I learned to be like, you know what? So I can't, I didn't do a headstand today. I did I did it for 20 seconds yesterday, but I can't do it today, it's fine. I'm gonna be patient with myself. And then mm-hmm. that translates to all the other decisions I make in everyday life. So again, it, when I started with the gratitude, it kind of left to a sounding board, but it just eventually comes back, um, you know, balance, grounding, <laughs> No, yeah, you, you got me there. Actually, yeah. and we were headed there, but I mm-hmm. lost the plot. Um, <laughs> excellence, the definition of excellence. We kind of got stalled out there for a minute, and I, I would like to propose to you as we kind of come into the closing minutes of this, um, and I'd love to hear your final thoughts too, but um, that yoga as a way, as, as an experiment, like stepping onto your mat as a scientist moving into a laboratory, of practice of self-love not just self-love but like love like you know sometimes we can delineate the two to be like oh this is when I love the other person this is when I love myself but I find that's like kind of I don't know it's a bit limiting and pejorative like why can't love be you know love has many shades like the Greeks have seven different words for love right um, but when you start to look into this kind of definition and I hope you guys will kind of chew on it for a while and and digest the concept of what excellence means in your life but I hope it's not something that's sterilized and removed from really the heart of yoga because when we get back to that concept of relationships being almost an interchangeable word with yoga when it's in the right context of showing up as your best self so I can see the best version of you and you recognizing that within me I mean that's the whole namaste all day like on your shirt right but in that exchange I mean if you are missing the love then you're sitting there in half pigeon saying I don't feel anything right or you could be on the other end of the spectrum being the old stiff guy going fuck this I can't do half excuse my language sorry I can't do half pigeon I'm out of here or you could be that joyful yogi who can't even spell pigeon, <laughs> but you've got that whole 
it doesn't matter. What is that? You're doing yoga, and it doesn't matter that you're sitting on your block on the back of your mat. You still got the pigeon. Does that make any sense? The word we, yeah, 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 the word we use a lot is, is bhavana or bhav. And like for me, that's excellence is not, you know, I mean, it's the ability to keep showing up for practice. And then it's not a matter of like there's days when you put, you know, all you've got into a physical practice. And then there's days where you don't because that's the wrong thing <laughs> for you that day, you know, or you practice yin. But, um, but if you do it with that sense of devotion, um, that's, that's like the true essence of excellence in the practices. It's a level of devotion with which you approach your practice. That is like the perfect place to stop because that was actually this last week's theme. Yes. <laughs> was devotion. Nice job, dude. <laughs> secret yoga teacher email. That was really good. I'm all so... At 529, I want you to pop in with definition of devotion. <laughs> You so you guys, let's let's close this out with um, you know with a little bit of homework to study the ways in which that you are committing and holding yourself to the standard of a working definition of excellence in your life, expressing that as love and devotion to even those who may not deserve it, um, and all this so that you can start to create more pockets in the world, like Tulum, like Cambio, that you're showing up as your best self because when you role model that, when you exemplify that, it holds space for other people to show up as their best self. And you can see that, you know? Like, I, I do really think that was the thing I saw that night when I walked in here, was this, there's a standard that people don't, just, you don't come in here with the toxic stuff. You come in here showing up as your best self, people recognize that so it brings out the best in them and it's there's a contagiousness to that so that's that's my um that's my homework for you until next time okay so with all that namaste